Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys. Just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, is that one of your famous cocktails in a Ziploc bag I saw you bring into your face? No, I'm just having a little uh, little gin and seltzer. That sounds nice. A little tangeray and topo. <laughs> I mean, that should have a uh, a rap lyric associated with it. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a nice drink. It's a nice, refreshing summer afternoon beverage. I've been kit-bashing the off-the-shelf Costco margarita jug. Hmm. To be clear, again, this is the one made with tequila and not the one made with wine. Ooh. Uh, which, I, which I find to be a pretty solid choice, but uh, I'll always overproof it a little bit with a shot so what is it it's like bar mix with tequila pre-loaded i think you'd be impressed and surprised by the quality of this beverage i do not like pre-mixed cocktails off the shelf by any stretch (laughs) and i i gave this one a try because of the the proud kirkland name and it and it did not disappoint this is not one of those wine cocktails that you get at a at a music festival either like real tequila and it's not too sweet this is the crucial aspect of it It, it, it's actually got some good proportions but dump another shot in there and then top with some club soda that's how i like to take it that's the way to go yeah i I have uh found myself in a situation where i've run out of a lot of key spirits in my repertoire i'm I'm usually an agave spirits or rum guy everyone knows this about you and uh, I'm out of tequila right now. I, I have what? one bottle of mezcal, but it's like an extremely special bottle of mezcal that was smuggled illegally into the country. What? I bought it at a liquor store where I was friends with the owner in Brooklyn, and he was Did like... Did you do that with me? Do we have the same yeah. bottle? Yeah, I think I think we do there both have the same bottle. So I don't want to like make a Wednesday night cocktail for myself with that. That's not what that's for. That's for special occasions. You don't mix with the good stuff. And uh, I have no rum on hand except for another, like, equally special thing that is, like, almost out. And I can't just tap into that. My wife and I did a party with a bunch of our friends before moving where we drank as much of our bar as we had. Yeah. So we wouldn't move it. And are you in that position right now ahead of a move? Like, you're not buying (laughs) bottles because you don't want to move them? Assuming this move happens, the buying bottles thing does feel a little bit silly to do right now. Although I don't know when the move will happen, if it does. So it might be like a month and a half. And like I can get through a bottle of tequila in a month and a half. Here's the thing, Ben. You're going to need some tequila to get through the move. (laughs) I think this is where I come in. I think think a gift bottle of tequila is just what I'm going to get you to help get you through this thing. Well, this uh, this right. conversation went exactly as I hoped it would. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I've been played. You've been I've pl- been played by a confidence man, and here's the thing. I never would have suspected you as a confidence man. You've been played, Adam, like a deck of cards, which mm. makes me want to play with a deck of cards. God, just a fucking professional quality pivot to game by benjamin r harrison like he hasn't done this for years on the greatest generation 
Let us have a card war. Or war. There's been no formal declaration of war. Maybe this trick will bring us some luck. That nonsense is centuries behind us. War! Go to war! So we're doing a mismatched war today, right? This is a this is asymmetric card war. Right. I'm going to be red coats all lined up, <laughs> ready to shoot a fusillade, and you're like in the jungle. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ready to hit me from the darkness. And by that I mean I'm playing with Dar- Star Trek Deep Space 9 Memories from the Future trading cards and longtime listeners of the show will recognize these cards as the ones that stick. Oh boy. Uh, I am playing with customizable card game uh, expansion packs for the uh, for the Mirror Universe version of the Star Trek customizable card game. Before we play, I, I must uh, loosen my cards. Oh, yeah. So here is that sound. Oh. <laughs> that sound never doesn't suck. It sounds like what it sounds like when I twist my back, like, <laughs> which I do all the time. Do a little back cracking. Somebody in the uh, in the Greatest Gen subreddit posted a photo from an antique shop that they were in of customizable card game expansion packs that I had never heard of before. There is a Deep Space Nine expansion. Really? And, and there's a Holodeck Adventures expansion. And there's a Trouble with Tribbles expansion. We've never played this card game, and I think that's fine. I don't <laughs> regret that. I don't think it would make a good episode if we were to do that. I think war is a better way to play it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, with that, do you want to uh, flip over a card? Before we begin, does my piece of card count as a playable thing? I'm going to hold this up to the camera oh, for weird. Our, our viewers at home to see, as that, well as you. That's just like a scrap that was included in the package? It was between a couple of cards. It, it just fell out as I was giving them the loosen-up business. But is it possible that that is what uniforms were made out of and that's your scrap of uniform fabric god that would be great i keep opening these cards hoping i'll get a uniform piece but yeah uh i'm not gonna play this i don't think it would win but i do have some cards here that i think have a good shot so what do you say we go three two one okay adam the first card i have is a dilemma it's a quantum fissure fragile intersection of countless parallel realities an attempt to scan one using a subspace differential pulse was interrupted by a bajoran warship with disastrous results uh my card ben is also a disaster (laughs) it is together at last one of deep space nine's greatest moments it's the romance between odo and kira something you've you've long railed against my feelings are being sucked into a quantum fissure (laughs) even considering this uh which is more powerful ben the the love between odo and kira or that gap in space (laughs) that gap though (laughs) or space gash I think your card wins. Wow. Mostly because I think it'll piss you off that your card wins. The power of love. I'm too cynical to believe that, but uh, if you insist, one to nothing. Okay. Me. Three, two, one. Mr. Andrews, civilian, 
Former Terran slave on Terak Nor in the Mirror Universe, liberated when the Rebellion seized control in 2372. I do not remember this man. What I love about the customizable card game is that if you have been on camera, you have a card. Yeah, totally. <laughs> they are looking for content for the customizable card game. Uh, ben, my card is another greatest moment, and the title of it is Odo a Murderer? <laughs> Uh, Odo spotted Ibudan on the station and recognized trouble immediately. Years ago, Odo had sent the Bajoran man to prison for murder. Yeah, the, the bloom comes off the Odo rose in that episode. It's episode three. Wow. Wow, that's really going in the Wayback Machine. It does make me feel better about uh, my dislike of Odo after that first card, though. <laughs> it's Kira doing Fallen for a Murderer. I'll never know. Who do you think won this one, Ben? I mean, Odo is a murderer, and my guy is just some doofy white dude. What's great about that episode is that Odo is a murderer, <laughs> and I'll always believe it. <laughs> I'm going to take the win. 2-0. Fuck. I'm in a hole here. Yeah. All right. You got to figure this out, man. Yeah. Got to start flipping better cards over. That's what I got to do. Will this be it? Three, two, one. There's no way that I'm going to win against whatever you've got, even though this is a special card. It's got some special foil on it. Oh. It is a Greatest Legends card. Hmm. That is positively glossy. It is, for some reason, Jake Sisko. <laughs> yeah, it's a card in, in honor of a main character. And uh, for some reason, it's in honor of him. Looks like one of the specials. It's got a special number and everything. Sirak Lofton, he really grew up... Before our very eyes. He was such a, such a cute little kid, and he's such a handsome young man at this point in the show. I like his work. Yeah. I mean, we make fun of his character quite a bit, because I think there's a lot to make fun of. That's, but, uh, but that's the writing, not his, not, not his performance. Yeah. yeah. What do you got, Ben? I have the Cavort class Klingon bird of prey, the IKC Katang. This bird of prey fought in the Dominion War immune to the Breen energy dampening weapon due to a fortuitous tritium intermix adjustment. Wow. So uh, take that, Breen. Cavort class. Yeah. I'm pretty sure a bird of prey shoots Jake Sisko out of the sky every day, right? I'm always going to respect a Cavort class because uh, that's the type that took out the, the big D. You are right. That's the ship of choice by the, the, the Dura sisters. That's true. They had the code to the shields because of Geordi's visor, right? Yeah. It would have been better if it was were a missile or an exploding star that took out the D. Yeah. But instead it was just a fucking dumpy cavort class. <laughs> Piece of shit. All right. So it is a it's two to one, yeah? Yeah. Do we go uh do we go best of five? Let's do that. Okay. Three, two, one. Adam, I've got an equipment card, and this is a piece of equipment that is less a piece of equipment than a running, not funny joke on Deep Space Nine. It is self-sealing stem bolts. Man. Used in the product in producing reverse ratcheting routing planers, Jake and Nog traded 5,000 wrappages of yamak sauce for 100 gross of stem bolts, which they sold for seven tessipates of Bajoran land. That was the Noje Consortium that did that. Sure was. I've got a card for one of Bashir's first loves, 
It's called Goodbye Melora. Uh, Melora was the guest crew person that had a hobby of turning off the gravity in her oh, quarters yeah. and, and floating around. She was like semi semi avian person from a low grav world, and she uh, she right she wheelchaired when she wasn't chilling in her yeah. bounce castle of an apartment. <laughs> Sheer always falling for the wrong women. Yeah, Melora, it didn't work out. Well, she didn't have any staying power, Adam, whereas the self-stealing stem bolt sure did. Yeah, I think it's easily the stem bolt that wins this battle. Let's uh, let's go to a fifth and deciding card, Ben. Yep. What do you say? This, the next goal wins. This is it. Uh, three, two, one. Uh, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> no one is going to believe this. But my card is today's episode. No kidding. It's Bashir and Serena. Uh, it's it's two in a row, two Bashir relationship cards. Wow. It's the card for Krishalush. <laughs> that is a really, a really uh, adventurous pronunciation of Serena's name, too. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Serena. Yeah, there's a thousand different ways to say. Interesting blocking of... The card, though, oh, like yeah. the faces are really down at the bottom in a weird way. Yeah, a lot of headroom in the uh, way they cropped that image. She's really looking on him lovingly. They kind of float down into the uh, title safe space that you don't <laughs> want to be if you're shooting faces. Yeah, his chin is like resting on the lower third there. Yeah. What do you have? I have an incident card, and my incident is Agony Booth. And uh, this is an image from the original series uh, episode about the mirror universe. I don't know. I don't understand these directions. I, I don't think I'm smart enough to play the customizable card game. I think you and I both know that Agony Booth is one of the most powerful cards in the deck. And I think what you did is you came from behind. Wow. After a 2-0 deficit, uh, I think you've won 3-2 to two thanks to that Agony Booth card. Well done. Well played. I kind of feel like this is the kind of victory that they were celebrating in Quarks after their Hollow Sweet baseball game last episode. Yeah. We didn't really win. Yeah. But we're celebrating as though. Maybe we will uh, go back and rescore this after talking about today's episode, Ben. Maybe, mm. maybe at the conclusion we will, in fact, have agreed that the Bashir and Serena card is the winner. It's certainly possible. <laughs> Let's find out as uh, as we get into Deep Space Nine Season Seven Episode Five. Krishulish. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. It's also possible that we will forget that we thought of that idea. <laughs> oh, it's probable. There is scene after scene of tragic solitude that Bashir experiences at the head of this episode. This guy's social life is a fucking disaster. I know. I grew up like this on occasion. Like, if your best friend isn't available to hang out with, you come to realize that your best friend may, in fact, be your only friend. Yeah. And if O'Brien is taken, I think that's sort of the situation that Bashir's in. Yeah, that's not a good feeling. He's kind of like a pinball bouncing around the promenade from friend to friend asking if he can tag along and whatever they're getting into like Odo and Kira heading to a hollow sweet date at their racially segregated Las Vegas lounge. <laughs> well have a great time. They've really taken a hard right turn in their 
in their politics, apparently. You know, I'd bring you, but uh, you're not exactly... You're a bit swarthier than uh, what the doorman <laughs> typically likes to admit. <laughs> it's pretty clear to me that the hood is docked on one of the rings, and I feel like it's always good on the hood if uh, you're looking for something to do. Yeah. It doesn't seem like an angle that Bashir takes here. No. Well, the angle he winds up taking is going home and, and like, doing homework. Straight Jack and saves you that mad queen. Yeah, he goes home and punches one out. And by that, uh, we mean he continues to work on projects. And, like, stays up late working on projects? I don't get this. Like, if I've got a night at home... I'm either going to enjoy my night by myself at home. She'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. Yeehaw! And like watch a movie or, you know, make myself an elaborate meal. But I'm definitely not staying up late to do either of those things. Fuck that. Oh God, Ben. I understand now the awful truth about myself. I'm a Bashir. Oh no. You're a stay up late for no reason? I'm a, I'm a stay up late and work on shit person. Wow. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bashir's just about to uh, fall asleep when he's aroused <laughs> by an incoming call from Nog. For some reason, Nog is the one to wake him up. Nog is on swing tonight, yeah. I guess. I like and, it. Uh, this this is a, a powerful course correct after the last episode posited a Nog as member of senior staff. Yeah. This Nog is, is where you should be now. This is this is exactly what Nog should be doing is being ensign hospitality on the overnight shift. We've reached a level of Nog equilibrium here. <laughs> then it feels right. Yeah. Uh, they've got uh, they've got an admiral uh, that is that is asking specifically for the doctor. Isn't Doctor Girani on duty? Not anymore. And uh, that means uh, jump out of bed, get in uniform, and run. Don't walk to see what this is all about. When Bashir arrives in the infirmary, it's clear that uh, Nog has fallen for a bit, <laughs> and a belt buckle opens a lot of doors. Yeah. If, if you're to wear one, uh, unfortunately, in this case, it's Patrick wearing the belt buckle. Yeah. And it's the return appearance of the unauthorized X-Men <laughs> in full Starfleet uniform. Yeah, they are stealing valor. I think we need to call in the Sentinels, Adam. Unidentified mutants. Ignore. Yeah, it's wild. I, I don't get the sense that Nog ever gets it. Like, <laughs> no. He's was, in the scene the entire time. Like, once we get it, I don't think Nog does. Nobody ever stops to explain it to him, and I think that that's a really <laughs> funny pregnancy in the scene. Yeah. The three verbal uh, inauthentic X-Men have, have put on these uniforms to bring Serena to the station, and uh, and she's in the, in the uh, you know, the drab green outfit that we are used to seeing her in, but... Uh, Bashir has has actually been like trying to arrange for her passage, and uh, and the others kind of took matters into their own hands. They sort of refer to a conversation where, and this happens a lot. Like this is a case of uh, a Bashir saying, "Well, yeah, I mean, there's a chance that I could have some capacity to work on this problem medically," and then the, and then what he didn't recognize is that the people that he was telling that to would take that 
in a totally different way. Right. In a bring Serena here immediately kind of way. Why are you so upset? You wanted Serena brought here? Well, here she is. You know, after the opening credits, we get the scene where Bashir is being chewed out for having allowed a misunderstanding like this to take place. I mean, Cisco is freaked out that somebody posed as an admiral and like waltzed onto his station. They meant well. <laughs> they meant well. Uh, very understandably. The camera pans over to Garrick's and the exterior has one of those like temporary vinyl signs that says like your source for Halloween costumes. <laughs> and it's like full of Starfleet uniforms. <laughs> He's doing a pretty good job with the verisimilitude. Garrick goes totally uninterrogated here for his responsibility. Yeah. In this ruse. Would they would they have gotten the uniforms on where were they coming from Earth? Where'd they come from? It feels like this is a thing that sort of like you can't put money in a copy machine and and make credible looking money you shouldn't be able to replicate a starfleet uniform for some reason yeah i think that it's interesting that in real life you kind of can't like i've never seen somebody in cosplay that looked right and i would love to it's the pursuit that's meaningful it's a great point and it's not shade against cosplayers it's just for whatever reason the way things are made and and tailored yeah like i would love to see somebody walking around at stlv in a uniform that fit them the way Cisco's uniform fits him, you know? I wonder how much of it has to do with carriage. Like, an actor has a certain way of wearing a costume that is really specific to the craft. Yeah. And when you're walking around a Las Vegas casino floor, a person wearing a uniform like this is just not going, like, they're not going to have it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, what I'm saying is Patrick has it. That's a stupid question. Yeah. He has it in spades. He has it in belt buckles, even, because uh, there's a power that the belt buckle gives that uh, yeah. that is really great for his character. I love that he's able to inhabit a role, too. Like, he is, yeah. like, we spent an episode with this character before, and we know that he is, like, like, a kind of silly and somewhat emotionally needy guy, and yeah. the point of these characters is that they're not really capable of taking care of themselves, but when he gets into character, he can really plausibly give admiral realness you know and that's a credit to the actor like he's playing lenny one second and then like abruptly switches course to asshole admiral yeah and it's great and and i think it's credit a credit to the writing too because mm-hmm. like to give a a lenny character like a a an ability like this is really fun and clever i think so the project here is serena and he's motivated by a kind of survivor's guilt, isn't he? Yeah. Like, like he has survived his circumstances in a way that these X-Men have not. And it, and it, it inspires him to forgive an instant like this, to encourage Cisco to forgive it as well. Yeah. And to work his best to cure Serena of her problem. Right. His, the thing he's discovered is that, like, her... Being nonverbal is the primary side effect of her genetic resequencing, and he may be able to solve for that in a way that would enable her to live a relatively normal life. 
And, you know, I think this episode, like a couple of times, hues close to something that is probably more controversial now than it was then, which is the idea of, like, making somebody who is, like, neuroatypical behave more like somebody who is not. More normal. What's normal? And to my mind, it doesn't really, like, cross a line into, you know, making an offensive statement about, like, people who are neuroatypical or anything. But it struck me in this episode in a way that it didn't really, the last time we saw these characters, that, like, this is somewhat chewing on the idea of, like, autism spectrum disorders or whatever. I mean, it feels like it is suggested, but characters themselves, through dialogue, make clear that this is a locked-in syndrome sort of thing instead of a... yeah instead of what you're describing and i think it it allows them to be off the hook for that yeah i also kind of wondered like what what they were trying to optimize for in the like especially in the other three characters like what they were trying to because like lauren it seems like all they did was turn up the potentiometer of sexual innuendo like right everything she says has to have like a sexy lilt to it but that's yeah. it, right? Like, that's the only thing she does. Yeah, it's a strange group. Luckily, Cisco arranges for the cargo bay to be set up in exactly the same configuration <laughs> yeah. as it was. We kept your bedroom just like you left it. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. It's the kids coming home from college and realizing that they're going to be staying in their 13-year-old style bedroom. Let's do it in my twin bed, twin bed. So Bashir has an idea for how to work on Serena and it's a procedure that he explains to O'Brien but really us he there's a device that he can use for the procedure it looks uh suspiciously like a clip show device uh it's but it's, it, it's going to be insufficient for his needs and O'Brien tells him I can't fix this piece of shit like I'm <laughs> I'm the best on the station, but there's nothing I can do. Uh, fortunately, the undeterred X-Men get their hands <laughs> on this thing and get it working like it should. Yeah, they are not trying to break the laws of physics, but they're perfectly perfectly willing to bend them. And <laughs> right. so they've uh, they've augmented this thing, but it's a bit of a cable nest issue. Like it's they've taken what yeah. looked like a nice clean piece of kit. And and really kit bashed it to hell. There are grips on this production that are getting migraines <laughs> looking <laughs> looking at how this thing is cabled. Oh yeah. I'm sure that the art department just stationed a set dresser next to this thing to keep the grips away from it because they would just come reflexively try and neaten out the cables. <laughs> You want me to inside outside wind these cables when I put it away, right? And they're like, no, 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 no. Like, make sure that these cables like, get a memory to them. We want it to look like shit. This is a hot prop. Do not touch. <laughs> Golden cut. The cut. Golden cut. So surgery day comes and uh, the clip show begins. We throw to the greatest moments of Serena's time on Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. and at this point, I think you and I will uh, will play a couple of those. Great stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's nice. The surgery does not go well, Enterprise. Yeah, they're kind of expecting her to wake up from this and just be a, a chatty Kathy. You'll be swell. You'll be great. 
And uh, when she wakes up, she is still doing the thousand-yard stare with the with the dark spots under the eyes. And Bashir is like really disappointed himself. More as hell. So disappointed that he seeks the advice of a professional psychologist in Esri Dax. And uh, <laughs> her psychological approach here is basically, fuck your feelings, Bashir. You're going to beat up on yourself? I'll beat up on yourself for you. Glad I could help. I think we can be sure at this point that Esri is not a competent therapist. I liked it. I liked the I liked the tough loveness of it. I think she... I think she read him in a way that he needed to be read in that moment. I don't know, man. I feel like at this point, after five episodes, that there is a sense that there's no need to write Esri any further than how we're getting her because uh, there's a little bit of short timer syndrome in character development happening. Like, what's the point? I suspect that this is all we're going to know about her going hmm. forward. Well, this scene ends with them kind of cutting their uh, shredding each other emotionally short because uh, Serena has has left Six Bay and is wandering around on the promenade. And Bashir walks up and asks her if she's okay. And she starts responding to him. You hurt me. And is like totally blown away that when she responds to him, he can then respond to her. It's like a whole new technology for her. It really shakes up the episode. We cut to black and then the Star Wars scroll appears <laughs> and it says Deep Space Nine, season seven, episode five, the mute speak. <laughs> her uh, manicure is really on point for somebody who's been checked out of society for as long as she has. Because she... She does that thing where she like reaches up to her mouth in uh, like in awe of its power. In awe of her mouth's power. Those nails, though. Yeah, the makeup department did a lot of heavy lifting for the character development side of this episode because, as a nonverbal person, Serena had the Halloween store dark shadows painted under her eyes and around her eyes. Yeah, and was incredibly pale, and. What she looks like after becoming verbal is a lot more lifelike, yeah. especially in the face. It's nice. You're right. One thing I uh, commented on the last time we saw her on the show was that I thought she did a lot with a character that didn't have any lines. Yeah, we and agreed. one thing I read was that they were taking this script into production and they had Faith Saley come audition to play this part again because they didn't know if she could handle it or not. And I was shocked by that because she'd carried some of the scenes in that last episode without lines. And it's, it was obvious to me that she had like the talent to, to pull off a second round with this character, but apparently not so for the... Uh, producers of the program. I wonder how emboldened you are when you're casting a show by the idea of casting Zial with a couple of dis different actors or Quark's mom with a couple of different. Like, you get used to the idea of of casting for taste in a way that yeah. I think makes bit parts like this subject to to that kind of thing. 
Yeah, it's, but this is a, a part where she's not in loaf. It, I, I was really surprised to read that. I thought that was really remarkable. Um, and I think that it is a real credit to Faye Saley's talent how she plays this role going forward because like there's some really subtle stuff that she does like the way she decided to portray somebody kind of being unused to having a voice like it is a very unique take on that idea that i i thought was really good and like the way she kind of like subtly backed off of how strange her voice sounded over the episode to where she had like some confidence with it yeah I thought it was really great. Why are you talking like that? Quiet. I want to give the director, Jonathan West, some credit for this because like like so many actors are given direction that involves backstory and motivation. And if your method, like finding areas of your own life that corroborate with a character need. Yeah. And, a, a, and what's so interesting about Serena's character is that she has no such thing and so the direction as given to her was to be totally receptive instead of telegraphing anything as if you have a backstory and it influenced her her performance in a really unique way and in a way that really worked it's it's very cool to see I I mean like Ace Haley is like a mostly a radio personality now but I think uh, is a super super talented actor and I (laughs) Really liked her performance in this. There's some real emotional whiplash that happens after she becomes verbal and kind of comes alive. She gets reintroduced to the group, which is a moment where she's made fun of by her so-called friends for being tone deaf. And then we get a two-minute acapella scene uh, with the Barbershop X-Men. Boy, this scene has to work if it's going to work. You like you cannot be plus this. It has to it has to be nailed. Do re mi fa sol la ti do. Do re mi fa sol la ti do. I think the reason that this sequence worked for me was because of how it was shot. Like there's a lot of physicality to it, the way characters move in and out of frame. Yeah, that I don't think you get if you back the camera off wide and see where Bashir is in relation to them. Mm-hmm. Like your proximity to them is a big reason why this is meaningful, and you only ever see Bashir, I think, toward the end. And I really like that about it. I had goosebumps watching the scene. I mean, it's it's like a very I don't know. It's like it's one of those things where I was like, God, this is like a corny Star Trek moment, except for it is humming like it is so good it's got that quality of an snl sketch so many snl sketches begin like with the idea you like the juice eh? and then they just start hammering it <laughs> over and over and over again and and the comedy dips yeah for its frequency and then for some reason pulls out of it for its frequency too in the, in like the third minute uh would you mind um ending this sketch and I feel like the sincerity of this scene works in the same way because in the beginning I was like, uh, this is cheesy and bad. But the yeah. longer it went, the better it got in that same way. Their harmonizing is like actually really, really sweet. And I, I don't know if they dubbed everybody or if this is their actual voices or whatever, but it, like it works. Like however they made it work, they made it work. And 
that's a, a real accomplishment. The trivia about it is that Jack was the actual tone deaf one <laughs> and everyone else could really sing and and faith saley did not know she was the singer that she was before this scene like she discovered that she had great pitch which is a Boy, discovery i've never made about myself that's fascinating like can you imagine being asked to re-audition for a part that you've already played once you get to set and they're like here's the script for today it involves a lot of singing and you don't know that you're good at singing? It's the cliff jumping of acting <laughs> challenges, yeah. you know? Wow. I'm frequently reminded of how awful a singer I am every time I karaoke. And gets the call very late at night. The singing works in this scene, but the thing that really works is how she goes from starting the scene being dunked on and made fun of and made to feel less than and by the end she is confident she's engaged with them she has won them over and uh, it's it's that emotional arc that undergirds the whole thing it's like it right it's like the the, the scene about in the episode that i care about the most by far well, we can't be here forever, Ben. We get we get Bashir's heart eyes emoji at the end of it into a scene at Quark's where Bashir is excited about a day he's had at work and he wants to share that with his best bud. And uh, O'Brien is clearly bored of this subject. Yeah. You should have seen him, Miles. How could I? I've been sitting here all night. Bored to the extent that he's like rolling his eyes at Bashir. <laughs> It's not like Bashir falls in love every season. It is kind of a rarity. <laughs> yeah. It's actually kind of a twist of the knife that Bashir is this excited because what he has done is blown off a an established hang that he was supposed to have with Miles. And Miles sat there with his dick in his hand like a chump. Yeah. So he's trying to be happy for everyone, but he is is primarily concerned with himself. So they go their separate ways, having had their mandate blown. Uh, Bashir goes back to his quarters and discovers Serena inside. Uh, she had no problem with the six-digit access code that it that it takes to break into his apartment. She uh, she was like, "Oh yeah, the face ID. I uh, made this mask that looks exactly like you out of clay." <laughs> the alphanumeric keypad code for his apartment is p-i-s-m-a-n <laughs> i was looking at those uh those like combination code door locks the other day and i feel yeah. like those like if you use that to get in and out of your place aren't the numbers gonna wear out eventually and just it's gonna be very obvious like oh these are the four digits that they use before i moved to la i used to stay at an airbnb not far from your place, Ben, and it had one of those keypad locks. And you're exactly right. The numbers used for that location were like they were worn. Yeah. Can't do that. That does not work. So she's there, but it's not it's not seduction like you might expect. Serena's there because she can't sleep. Again, not seduction. She's got a very real feeling concerns about like, what if I go to sleep and I wake up and I'm the way I was this morning? Like, I don't want this ride to stop. Yeah. It's that anxiety of, like, I got to a thing that I have wanted to my whole life, and what if it goes away? What if it all suddenly goes away? Like, I mean, I think about that with 
getting to do this show with you. Like, what if something happened where we had to stop? It's terrifying. Yeah, it could happen any day now. Almost every day I think about the possibility, the since the distinct and real possibility. <laughs> it's a real goodwill hunting scenario every time I turn on uh, the recording feed. And I, I wonder if this is the day that you're not there. <laughs> and you know what, Ben? That's the best day of my life. <laughs> I think this is a very high degree of difficulty scene to do and not make look pervy because she falls asleep on his shoulder and he is content to fall asleep sitting up in a chair and there is no suggestion yeah. of, he's of not physical like, romance here. He's not like putting his arm around her shoulder and putting a hand on a boob or anything. Yeah, it's it's very chaste in a in a nice way, in the way that you hope it'll be. But then like the next morning she's like, you know, getting him his breakfast and stuff in a way that was like is she like a 1950s housewife now? Like what Where does she get this idea is a great question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that like they explore that in the episode that she feels like she owes him so much that she could never repay and her ideas about how to go about starting are very rudimentary. This is such an interesting direction to take her character in the story, I think, that, that she's motivated by by guilt or maybe owing Bashir for what he's done for her. She doesn't want to be confused with being an ungrateful X-Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, she she would hate that, so... Um, he goes off to work and she goes back to her friends who are working about th- on the problem of the uh, inevitable collapse of the universe on a millions of years kind of time span. This is the curse of great intelligence, right? It's the curse of empathy. It's the curse of so many ways of being that like a person only has a certain amount of capacity for concern. And so this this group of very smart people have become concerned about something very, very, very far into the future. Yeah. And it is, and it feels very present in the now. It kind of feels like they got hooked on the idea of everything falling apart in their last episode with their mm-hmm. prediction that the Dominion War would go far worse for the Federation than is generally known. <laughs> and now they're, they're, they're onto an even bigger scale of looming catastrophe that they're interested in what the scene does intentionally is to make Serena different in a different way from the group she's not fitting in in the way that she used to and it's something that she feels and the group does yeah because when Bashir finds her in there later like she is has kind of fallen back into old habits sitting by herself in a corner staring off into the middle distance and he's really worried that like the the spell has been broken and she's turned into a pumpkin or whatever it's consistent with how she behaved in the scene before right she's doing this for their benefit they're more comfortable with her acting a certain way 
And so that's the way she chooses to be. Yeah, which I like. I like the I like the writing of that. Bashir invites her uh, to a a social hang, and to her credit, Lauren understands that this is not an ex- invitation to the group, and and helps Serena get ready for uh, the evening's uh, hangs. But uh, Patrick and Jack are are pretty rip shit about this situation figures that doesn't seem fair i feel very insulted very slighted if this is serena's rumspringa i feel like she got an amish makeover here right (laughs) yeah the like she clearly looks she looks really pretty and she looks cared for by lauren but also like that dress goes all the way up and all the way down yeah the the empire waist dress is a very like specific choice i feel like yeah, I think this is an example of costuming telling us that this isn't a sexy thing. Like, get that out of your head. Right, and 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 it's like a it's a social hang at Quirks where everybody else is in uniform too. Yeah, even Odo is like, boy, she's pretty uptight, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm me. <laughs> she could stand to loosen up a little bit. <laughs> this is a scene that uh, ends with her and Bashir kind of uh, wandering down the promenade together and her kind of psychoanalyzing all of the not Cisco senior staff. Bashir's like, uh, you know, you're doing your job better than Esri (laughs) could ever do. (laughs) Have you ever thought about a career in psychology? This is kind of the pivot though, right? Like what is her future going to be? She had such a great experience with Bashir's friends. The possibilities are endless for her. She's got this great big universe. Bashir's like, uh, what do you think about sticking around, maybe? You don't have to go anywhere. Yeah. The idea of uh, picking a star... Second star to the right. ...and heading off to it and making a life for yourself is great, but Bashir is starting to reveal himself as an unethical X-Man. And... Uh, this scene ends with him making out with his patient. It's clear that unlike the group in the shuttle bay, uh, she's not an unwelcome X-Man. <laughs> but what Bashir does is break the news to these unhappy X-Men that they have to go and she gets to stay. And that's how it's going to be. They bring up a great point in response to this. Couldn't you make us normal like you did for Serena and then we could all stay together? And I wish this was interrogated a bit more in this episode and this, and I had wished for this to be a stronger point of conflict. We've known these characters now for a couple of episodes. The why her and not us ification of how they feel about Bashir I feel like could use a lot more juice. Because if I'm Patrick or Jack or Lauren, I'm looking at the success story play out and I'm like, well, I'm next, right? Yeah. And I think that the problem is that whatever it is that makes them incapable of taking care of themselves is has never been very clearly defined. Like they're obviously eccentric and weird. They're undiagnosed (laughs) X-Men. Yeah. But like, like if Lauren had like, stabbed three people. Lauren does take out a four-inch clit and is like, this is my problem. (laughs) Thomp. I would say that my main problem right now is that I'm an unfucked (laughs) X-Man. 
I, I I could have used a little more of this is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like really stick it to Bashir. Like he gets off a little easy here. Like if we all are like roughly contending with the same problems, why can she be fixed and why can't we? Yeah. Is is a great indictment of of what happened here. And uh, I don't feel like what's broken about them has ever been made entirely clear. It also gives the story cover too, because if you don't know exactly why uh, you're assuming there's a good reason. Later in Quark's bar, uh, Bashir and Serena are hanging out, and she's kind of rain-manning the Dabo table. Explain how you track the dependent variables. It, it's really not that interesting. Dabo! And uh, that is always an anxiety trigger for Quark, who does not like to lose money to people who are capable of doing uh, better math than he can. I would have loved to see her play some tango with him though right like after that episode where Bashir was bested by Quark the the case being made here is that like she has retained all of her genius all of the advanced abilities of her genetic enhancement and lost all of the disadvantages I mean nothing cures a bum out of the previous scene more than a winning gambling streak yeah. And everyone's super jazzed in the scene, except for Quark, who strongly encourages them to go to the bar. Uh, he's acting as the cooler here. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and it's in this scene that Serena begins to feel a little frazzled by the noise. And the suggestion here is that her cure may not be permanent. Right. There's a kind of sensory overload thing happening that she can't really handle, so she wants to she wants to clear out of there. When Bashir walks her home, Ben, uh, he floats the idea of Risa, and this begs the question, how soon is too soon for Risa if you're dating someone <laughs> in the twenty fourth century? Yeah. I think generally everyone knows what a what a third date means. <laughs> you know contemporarily but like in the 24th century i think a lot of thought needs to be given for uh when is risa right for you yeah i mean the question everyone asks themselves early in a relationship is like this seems to be on a collision course for us being an item and if that happens then we will need to start like planning things around each other like Mm -hmm. trips holidays all of that stuff and Risa, like, it's one thing to meet and fuck somebody at Burning Man. It's another thing to go on a first date and at this on the second date be like, hey, what if we went to Burning Man next week? It's so great. Like, there's no other use for a sex toy in the way that, in, the, in a way that, like, Risa only means one thing. Yeah. He, uh, he brought his jazz horgan on this date. <laughs> she seems game, even though she shouldn't know what Risa is. Yeah. Unclear how much she's absorbed over the years, I feel like. But also, feel, like, in the 24th century, like, the, the sexual mores have got to be much looser, a lot less, right. like, like Bible-thumping lunatics running around trying to enforce their weird Puritanism on everybody. Maybe God, people yeah. are just, like, more... You hope so. You know, like, maybe maybe there are fewer venereal diseases. You can wave a light over your junk and get rid of your... Gonorrhea or whatever. Morn, 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 sweet morn, morn, morn. You hear, buddy? Morn, stop. Hammer time. 
later Bashir gets another crack at O'Brien. Like th- this seems to be their relationship right now. Bashir excitedly telling O'Brien about a thing and O'Brien just not trying to hear that really. But but unlike the scene before, O'Brien I think really has some good tough love style advice for him. And this is the hardest part about being really good friends with someone is like the obligation to to see two trains on the same track heading for each other and seeing if you can do something about the impending crash. Yeah. And O'Brien in this scene makes a pretty credible case for this being too soon. Oh, we're genetically engineered. We do everything fast. And also that it's his patient. I thought this was a great scene for O'Brien because he says yeah. the thing that I was screaming at the TV the entire time. Like, you are pedal to the meddling your your summer love with your patient. <laughs> You're a fucking doctor. And this is a bad episode for Bashir. It makes Bashir look, like, grotesquely unethical. But okay. also, I feel like it's very true to his character, the way they write this, because he's engaged in what Dan Savage calls dickful thinking. And he's a very arrogant man. Like, he believes in his advanced abilities and he's and and he's like well i've like had the other doctor take over supervision of her care she's no longer my patient that's not no longer an issue he rationalizes in a way that is like authentic to the way he's been written i think that's a great point and it's destructive because the measures he takes are retroactive yeah he does a bunch of unethical stuff before ethically making some decisions here that insufficiently retroactively could get him off the hook. And it's a great O'Brien episode for Bashir's failings. And O'Brien also knows not to push him too hard either. Like, Bashir's saying things that are big red flags for any friend who's close to someone who's making a mistake. When you start using language like, Uh, This person is who I've been waiting for my whole life. Uh, The idea of a person, a person's ability to complete someone else. Like, this is not rational thinking. Yeah. And, uh, and it's dangerous. As my dad's cousin said to him when he was 11 years old and visiting North Carolina and walked out on a, on a railroad bridge, dangerous as fart. That's, that's wisdom right there. It's, it's just like that, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that night, the candles are lit. The uh, the table is set. Here's what you want to do when you're on a date in the 24th century. You don't want to replicate the meal before your date arrives. And so these plates sit empty yeah. for what seems like hours and hours because Serena never shows. I, I loved the shot that established that she never showed because it cuts around the room a couple of times and then cuts to a like camera pointed straight down at the table, but on a dolly, and it like pan like dollies over to to find Bashir just like collapsed on a couch, just like bored out of his fucking mind. He's got to find out what happened. He asks the computer where she is. Computer says that she's in her quarter. So that there is where Bashir goes. And uh, using his medical access, he breaks into her apartment (laughs) and sees her staring out her staring window. And in this moment becomes the unforgivable (laughs) X-Man. I don't know. I think 
I want to argue the other side in this specific moment. I think you could believe that there has been a medical emergency if she's not responding to him being at her door. I think that's that is fair, but it can't be him to go through the door in that in that context. You like, got a call for backup. There's there is too strong a chance that it is her him that has driven her to whatever medical crisis is taking place. And in the infirmary is where they discover that there's been a little bit of a backslide in her progress medically. It's something that he can't figure out on his own, and and no one in the infirmary can, so he appeals to the unhelpful X-Men for their assistance, who seem unenthusiastic about this kind of work. Why should we help you? You just want to steal her away from us. Given that a few scenes ago, we were shown just how unhappy they were about all the attention being paid to her and instead of them. Right. They they still resent him for the idea that he's going to be breaking up their uh, quartet. and But despite that, uh, out of loyalty to her, they go they go talk to her. And they have some debate, right? Like they, they talk over uh, whether they want to admit to Bashir what's really going on. And right. they, they decide that they have to. So they come to his quarters and say, like, listen, like, she is, she has not backslid. She shut down because she is fucking, like, overwhelmed, basically, by what's happening to her. And it's his boner that's overwhelming her, you know? If he allowed her to, like, adjust to her new ability to engage with the world without turning it into fucking candles and single roses and vases and champagne on the second date, and rise on the third date. The problem is she's she's been given no breathing room. Healthy relationships are ones where both people remain their own separate identities, and then they bring those together while keeping those identities. And what happened here is that Serena's identity was subsumed. It became all about Bashir and the payback, and she lost whatever hope she had of becoming her own person very quickly yeah i mean i think that like the thing that i didn't that didn't hit me while i was watching the episode but hit me as we started to discuss the episode is that scene where she shows up at his apartment and like sleeps on his chest or he sleeps while she like lies on his chest and and looks at his virology research it plays so powerfully into Bashir's primary sense of weakness. Yeah. That she wants to connect with him on a human level and that he has never been able to connect with anybody on a human level in this show, retroactively because of his augmentations, but also because of just like what a creep he was written as for the first season and three quarters. He is unforgivable for having responded to that out of weakness because he should be a professional and should be able to, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, what's hard to forgive is that this was not a secret to him. Her desire to repay the debt was on the surface. Right. And that was specifically the moment that he should have disengaged and gotten some distance. That was the moment. Right, but he's also, this is a guy that is authentically lonely that is yeah this connection is so it's such a powerful temptation to him that he violates himself to 
to be receptive to it. Doesn't it feel a lot like Data? Like Data's loneliness and Bashir's loneliness seem very uh, related. Yeah. Like Bashir's desire to find an equal or a semi-equal gets him into a lot of trouble. Yeah. The way it did for Data. Honestly, like I, I've been watching The Sopranos lately and there's a character on that that has, has kind of a in and out relationship with drugs where he he's like sometimes doing tons of heroin. He goes to rehab, he's an AA, he like relapses mm-hmm. sometimes, he's he's on the straight and narrow sometimes. And those those moments where he breaks and somebody offers him, you know, a key bump of heroin. Yeah. You know, like two days later, you catch up with him and he's like shitting himself at the fucking Feast of San Gennaro because he's yeah. so strung out. Great scene. This felt like that, like Bashir not uh, engaging his his higher functions to do the right thing in these moments. Where's Bashir's cleaver as a film project? <laughs> <laughs> I bet he'd make a fun horror film. I bet uh, I bet Bashir really loved Kundun. <laughs> that's the line of the episode Ben <laughs> fuck that's great <laughs> so in Quark's O'Brien hears about the aftermath and the unemployed X-Men are heading home uh, meanwhile Serena is headed for a research project this is sad stuff what's what's cool I think is that that Serena didn't backslide back into nonverbal like this I think a, a lesser episode would have had her go back into catatonia and then like rejoin the X-Men and then go home and then like what was it all for right yeah oh Bashir your skills are not as great as they as you thought they were and also you're a bad right. person <laughs> right and this episode is just about one of those things right which is I think better I agree um and and I also think that the position O'Brien takes is exactly the right one. The it's like every like the subtext is I told you so, but the text is Hey man, I love you, and I'm sorry that this hurt you. You didn't want to be lonely anymore. Nobody does. One of the things that I feel like we've brought up before is just how much O'Brien has been through as a character, and how reluctant he is to bring that up as a form of uh, currency he's willing to trade with the characters around him. Mm-hmm. O'Brien has been through this with Molly. Uh, just a few episodes ago, a a nonverbal character he tried to get through to, yeah. and all of the fallout from having an emotional connection to someone and then having that confused with how you want to help them medically and how there might be a conflict between those two impulses. Like, who better than O'Brien to to hash this out with but uh that is not part of the conversation here it's just never is (laughs) it's just o'brien being a good conduit for a conversation and offering to like o'brien offers you know come over for dinner and and like get your mind off of things bashir wants none of that instead the button on the episode is uh bashir walking serena to the ship that she's going to board to leave him and this life forever. And what you're left with, what I was left with at the end of the episode was that Serena is not damaged for this relationship with Bashir, though I think she could have been. Like, yeah. 
in in alternate versions of this, I feel like things go very bad for her on her way out the door, and it affects her negatively in her life going forward. But instead, it feels like a mutual agreement that this is what's best for her, and so she goes. It feels like an episode of Bashir like falling off a cliff and catch off a cliff and catching himself on a vine on the way down like like he almost completely destroyed himself mm-hmm. and and if she had been seriously harmed by what happened between them I think he would have yeah it's that like learning medical ethics the hard way kind of thing Right. Like he sees how close he came to total destruction. And I think it's a good episode that is bad for Bashir as a character. But I think mm-hmm. the most fucked up thing in the episode is the fact that they kiss on the mouth before she goes. I thought a lot about this kiss in that in exactly the same way. I thought about the women in my life that I am close enough to to give this kind of physical affection yeah. are few. Yes. And it is incredibly meaningful to know that that is all it is. And I'm not sure that one of these two kissers feels the same way. No, yeah, I think that uh, I think that's well put. The fact that she is kind of, I mean, she's she's a galaxy brain and she is stupendously capable, but she is also inherently naive. She is new to the world. And there is a power imbalance in this moment. And there's a power imbalance all through the episode that Bashir consistently fails to, you know, rise to the occasion of being the better man about. Mixed feelings about that moment. Did you like the episode, Ben? You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it, do it. I did like the episode. I mean, I I think that like the... I mean, we talked about The Sopranos. Like in a, in a series like The Sopranos, if a character had an episode like that, it would haunt them for the rest of the series, you know? And I'm guessing that this will not haunt Bashir based on the track record of Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. in the way that I think it should. But I think that this is also, you know, like we talk about, Deep Space Nine is one of the early TV shows to kind of come up with the idea of breaking away from the it's always reset at the end of every episode and I think that in a vacuum this is a, a really good episode because it is is showing a guy failing himself and the people around him in a way that is really realistic and as a viewer you can like think about the times in your life when you've been around something like that or if if you yourself have yeah. made similar failings yeah. And I also think it's just like a really well, it's a well-structured story. It's well-acted. I think that Faith Saley is fucking amazing in it. I think Alexander Siddig is really good in it. Um, and it's such crazy whiplash after Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite to have an episode as serious as this, too. It's really true. But overall, I thought it was a really strong episode. I think scrutinizing the differences between how something is intended versus how it is received is really important in an episode like this. And I think depending on who you are and what your life experience has been like is going to put you all over the map on how this episode might work for you. I think what's interesting is 
Faith Saley sat for an interview about this episode fairly recently, and she thought it was good. Good in a post-Me Too environment, even. Wow. That Bashir was able to keep a professional remove with a patient in the way that he does in this episode was something that she approved of. And, I mean, if the actor portraying Serena thinks that, I mean, I'm who am I to project what I think is right onto her and that character? Yeah. But I think an episode like this is emblematic of so much of the potential of a Dr. Bashir that has up until this point gone unrealized. I think his character as a tragic figure is something that could be mined to great effect. I think he could be more tragic even yeah. Why are we so narrowly confined with him and his stories when, like, what I want to feel is real trauma and real heartache with him instead of this middle ground stuff? Yeah. And I don't know if this is just a quality of late 90s television or what, but uh, I did like the episode. But this is one of those ones where there's a little bit of meat on the bone and we're running out of time, you <laughs> know, in in the season and the series. And maybe we'll get another crack at Bashir going forward. I hope we do. But it's clear that he has been relegated to the sidelines as a major character. And he's getting one episode as an A story. Not very often. So if I were a betting man, I, I don't like his chances of getting a send off that I would hope it that he would get. Yeah. I mean, regardless of his actions in this episode, which, depending on your perspective, could be... Uh, could be negative. One more thing I that I didn't say was this. Our X-Men here, I feel like, had they been introduced in season two, could have been our lone gunman of the series. Oh, yeah. That's and this a great is it point. For, this is it for them. They got their two episodes and they're out. I would have liked more of them sprinkled through. I mean, this is a way to to give a greater foundation to the Bashir character is, is returning to this well. So yeah. I wish they'd done that. Totally. Also, where's the Nogby story here? <laughs> Lauren is talking all about fucking Nog. Let's just give me one scene between Lauren and Nog. Oh, man. Like, like how tasty is that? Oh, man. What's he going to do with all that woman? I feel like she would really love Umox. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like Nog would be a giving lover, too. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that'd be a good fit. This episode made me wonder, is Nog like 23 now? Like, like, what is, what's going on with Nog? Nog's ready to fuck, I think we can agree. He's a commissioned ensign in Starfleet, right? Like he, this isn't a field commission, it's not provisional. He's, he's a commissioned ensign. <laughs> I feel like an undone subtext of the Valiant episode is Nog looking around at that crew and going, they're all fucking each other. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like virginal Nog at yeah. the, at the academy. What is the Federation Pie episode of Deep Space Nine? Yeah. Nog, Nog and Jake making a pact. This cock is on fire with passion and love. <laughs> uh, Adam, do you want to see if we have any Priority One messages? Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. The interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Then our first Priority One message is of a promotional nature. Ooh. 
Here's the message. Do you find yourself with lots of time and not enough awesome sci-fi to read? May I suggest mm. Caitlin Morcos Interplanetary Marshal Service? Wow. Or more formally, She Who Is My Fourth Novel. <laughs> Written by a guy who is a little bit embarrassed to write about starship battles and space crimes, Caitlin Marcos is a young marshal trying to chase an assassin while dealing with smugglers, slavers, and maybe even a traitor. She's a badass like Ro Laren. She's not really like Ensign Roe, but I do love that drop. <laughs> uh, so here's what you can do. You can go to mhquestus.com. That's M-H-Q-U-E-S-T-U-S.com for links. Or search for mhquestus on your local Amazon website. So here's a direction to go if you want oh, something yeah. fun to read. I like a sci-fi novel. I'm going to see if I can get this. Caitlin Marcos. Caitlin Marcos, Interplanetary Marshal Service. And this is like this is like Star Trek is a place, right? We're telling Marshal Service stories in science fiction. This is a hell of a combination. Wow. I like the, uh, I like the design of the cover. Yeah? Yeah. It's like an aircraft carrier where the other people... On the deck or wearing spacesuits. I think when you're writing science fiction, you gotta have that cover done tight. Yeah. Like, you gotta have a great cover. M.H. Quest has left behind a career in physics for science fiction. Yeah, physics is a dead end, man. No one cares about science anymore. No. <laughs> but, but honestly, I do like the uh, authors of my sci-fi to have some grounding in the psi of their phi, you know? It's what makes Greatest Gen so great. It's the, uh, <laughs> it's the professional experience of its hosts. Uh, Adam, our next priority one message is from She Who Does Burlesque, and it is to Bento Box and Adamantium. Oh, that's us. I like those nicknames. Those I'm are some Bento great Box names. and you're Adamantium. Great names. It goes like this. Hey guys, tis I, your girl, SWDBZ. Just wanted to contribute to the show with a P1 purchase. In return, I wish you to have a discussion about who is the sexiest character on DS9 and why the answer is Garrick. Julian can come too if he keeps the water sports to a minimum. Hope you guys are having a safe apocalypse. Wow. Uh, this is an episode where I... Uh, thought a lot about how much it would have been nice to have Garrick there because we have a lot of Bashir trying to understand the world from Garrick's unique and strange point of view and I thought it would be really cool in an episode like this to have Garrick you know like maybe one of those scenes with O'Brien like uh, rewrite it with Garrick because like all the ethics stuff when Garrick is in play change a lot <laughs> You know, it's funny. Medically, it's so it's so important to get a second opinion. Yeah. You'd think Bashir would know better. Yeah. Uh, and actually seek one out. And also, like, Garrick, what are you doing making fake Starfleet uniforms? All of these right. things are questions we have. Right. Yeah. Why, why are we so thirsty for you, Garrick? Yeah, it's true. Anyways, <laughs> if you'd like to... Uh, cause us to talk about what a snack Garrick is or, uh, you know, wish somebody well for their birthday or sell your novel, 
Head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 bucks for a commercial message. And we appreciate it because it helps us cover the cost of this production. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda in this episode? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I'm going to give my drunk Shimoda to Patrick. I think the way he snaps into and out of authority is uh, is this thing I really crave. Uh, he doesn't overdo it, which is a good bit of restraint by the episode. He does this magic trick twice. Yeah. And both times it fucking kills. So Michael Keenan, the guy who plays Patrick, he doesn't have a ton to do, but what he does, he just fucking crushes. He's great. So uh, it's going to be Patrick for me. What about you? My drunk Shimoda is an alien that I saw a few times in this episode. Like, I feel like there are loafed aliens in the background on this show all the time. And some of the most interesting loaf you see in this in this series, you see as just background characters that we'll never meet. We will never know what their species is about. If they're a merchant species or a warrior species or... They're iceberg aliens, Ben. Yeah. We'll, we'll never know what's going on beneath. But they imply a richness to the tapestry of the Federation. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, there's this one alien that's got like... I don't know if they're like tentacles or the or hair or or what, but they're like three or four of them coming out the back of this alien's head and one of them coming out of the front. And I saw this alien at least two times in this episode in different scenes. And it's such a distinctive loaf that it caught my attention every time I saw it. And what it made me think was probably what they do is if there are going to be extras that they are going to the trouble of putting in loaf, that's all like scheduled for one day. And so anytime they're like on the promenade or in quirks and they need a bunch of loafy people buzzing around in the background, that's one day of shooting. So any scene over the course of the episode that has background in it is going to be that day. And I think that there's like a tricky needle you have to thread as the costume department like okay like we want these aliens to like look like interesting aliens like that make you wonder what else is going on on the station but we don't want you to be distracted by them we don't want you to be like wondering like why does that guy keep showing up in the background of shots and this guy is like one it, 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 like honestly the rare example of a failure in that respect because he is in the background of a bunch of shots and it's just such a distinctive loaf it's like gray makeup but then the the tentacles are like a red and white like mm. like christmas uh licorice sticks <laughs> i just kept I, I just kept clocking this character and i wanted i want i wanted the episode to be about them always working hard are the uh costume and makeup departments on this show this this seems to be an episode that we gave it a ton of attention. And I think attention that you could give every episode, but this one specifically really merits that. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. 
But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by seven customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, the code is SCARVES. Think it, dream it, make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. We've gone pretty long, Adam, but we need to get to how and why we will be doing 
our next episode of this show. The why is as follows. It's season seven, episode six, Treachery, Faith in the Great River. Odo is thrust into a violent showdown when a Dominion War leader defects. Remember the war? (laughs) Yeah, that was weeks ago. Yeah. Is our break over? The war break? Yeah, it it would appear it is. Guess we'll find out. Uh, No breaks built into the game of buttholes. Will the profits? We're currently we're on square fifty nine. Nice. And uh, a couple squares ahead, we got a space butthole. A couple squares after that, the uber unpopular Starship Mine square. Yeah, we've never uh, hit that square, have we? So we'll see what we get for what is definitely going to be a shorter episode for Ben to edit than today's episode, which is my task. You're required to learn <laughs> as you play. Roll. I've got the die in my hand, and I'm going to give it a roll. And uh, sure as shit, I've hit the space butthole. <laughs> We're back down to square 18 and a Quarks Bar episode, Ben. Not going to be a short episode in that case. No. One frere. You deserve this, you son of a bitch. Or, uh, <laughs> why, what is, why is this my fault? I've had a pattern of very long episode edits lately. I suppose that's been your pattern, too. But we're really luxuriating in the recording of our show lately. Yeah. Uh, maybe because there's just not anything else in our lives. Yeah. So there we are, square 18 next week, and uh, the Mornhammered episode has never looked further away. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Wow. Well, I doubt we'll hit it by the end of the season and therefore by the end of the series at this point. Right. Pretty wild to think about. I mean, there's a chance we roll a bunch of sixes we could get there. I guess so. It's only episode five of the season. We've got 21 more episodes, Ben. That's 21 more rolls. That's crazy. Well, that will be next episode, a drunk episode. Yeah, a couple of good time Charlies will be us. <laughs> One of the biggest good time Charlies in all of the greatest gen universe, Bill Tilly. He's the guy who's taking care of our social media needs lately. He is. You can find him at Greatest Trek on both Instagram and Twitter. You're going to find lots of fun content that he curates in both of those places. Yeah, the thing that I have always hesitated about with my own social media since this show became a thing was there a lot, I see a lot of interesting Star Trek things, but I don't want my personal social media feed to just be fun and interesting Star Trek stuff. And that's like the thing that Greatest Gen has become. It's like it is a fun thing to follow that will remind you about a funny character or tell you that it's Alexander Siddick's birthday or whatever. And uh, it's a fun thing to have pop up in your feed. I really enjoy what Bill is doing with it. When you're one of the two hosts of Greatest Gen, you don't want Star Trek to be your identity. (laughs) Who would want that? (laughs) Mm. Anyway, speaking of people who have changed identities, has anyone done it better than Adam Ragusea? Mm. He pivoted right out of legit collegiate work into uh, food YouTubing. Indeed. Uh, that, is, that is a tube that will never deflate. He's got so many episodes about making great things to eat and uh, growing plants and, and all sorts of things related to food making. You can find him at Adam Ragusea over on YouTube. Speaking of things to, to follow and enjoy, check out our other shows. We've got a uh, 
Greatest Discovery, which is following all the new Star Trek programming that's coming out. As of the release of this episode, deep in the thick of the 23-week run of brand new Star Trek episodes airing on CBS All Access in the U.S. and various other platforms outside of the U.S., uh, and also Friendly Fire, our hit war movie podcast that we make with our buddy John Roderick. Big hit is Friendly Fire. Uh, support for the show comes from those who go to MaximumFun.org slash join and support us on a monthly basis. Their support is crucial to the ongoing production of this show. It's the only thing making the next episode possible. And the only thing making our wives allow us to keep doing this. <laughs> And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which I would bet everything has a shorter title than the episode it's based on. (laughs) Bet my entire life on that, Ben. Interesting bet, given that I have the control over what that title winds up being. (laughs) I know. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And also, we will forget about the bet by the time we record that episode and... By the time it's released, we won't remember any of this stuff, so. Hey, one thing we did remember at the end is that you still win the card game, I think. I don't think my Bashir and Serena card is going to win. Wow. Card war. Shit, dog. I forgot. Like a steel trap, baby. Amazing. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.